It's like with sleep, you know, people, I said sleep, sleep is without a doubt the most important part of the day. What is the first step to getting a good night's, a consistently good night's sleep? Prioritizing. Yep. If you don't prioritize it, all the rest, I could talk to you for the next hour about sleep hygiene and all mm. the different things you could do. But if you don't prioritize it, all the rest is a waste of time. Mm. It's a bit like that with health too. That was Dr. Ron Ehrlich, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott and in this podcast series I'll be uncovering the world of regenerative agriculture, its people, practices and principles and empowering you to apply their learnings and experience to your business and life. I'm an eighth generational Australian farmer who transitioned my family farm from industrial methods to holistic regenerative practices. Join me as I dive deep into the regenerative journeys of other farmers, chefs, health practitioners and anyone else who's up for a yarn and find out why and how they transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome back to the show this week. I'm very excited to have spoken with Dr. Ron Ehrlich, a holistic um, dentist and health advocate. He's a podcaster. Um, uh, his podcast is Unstressed, and I did an interview with him. I was interviewed by him, uh, by Dr. Ron, uh, on Unstressed there late last year. I can't remember what episode it was, but I really enjoyed um, that one. And then we um, started conversing, and I thought, this bloke knows his stuff. So I thought I'd better... Um, uh, interview Ron there in Sydney in Bronte and he's in his home we talk about his um his life um he's growing up and and what sort of got him into dentistry um he's a, he's, he's an author as well he's produced uh, produced he's <laughs> published a book a life less stressed um it's all about sort of health pillars and um uh you know really interesting and and, and it's somewhat basic stuff we tend to sort of forget about but um, Ron's put it there in a, in a wonderful publication um, his podcast. He's been doing thirty-five years, you know, at least thirty-five years of um, of clinical experience, and he's um, he works from and he's the operator of the Sydney Health um, Holistic Health Centre, I should say, in Sydney. Um, really enjoyed my chat with Ron there, and and um, uh, just in his home there in Bronte, and was just fascinating to understand, you know, why he got into dentistry and why his particular um, perspective on and health and relating you know, basically um, dental health and hygiene to our overall um, holistic um, human body health. And there's so many connections there that I, w I thought I knew a bit about it, but Ron really opened up my eyes. So, Ron, uh, thank you for the chat and listeners. I trust you enjoy um, listening. <laughs> as much as I did speaking to Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Ron, Dr. Ron, as you're fondly known, uh, Dr. Ron Ehrlich, we're here. A welcome to The Regenerative Journey. Thanks, Charlie. It's terrific. Thank you. Welcome to your house. <laughs> we're, in your, we're in your house in, in beautiful Bronte, which um, I've had a, a little bit to do with or a fair bit to do with in the last oh, 10 years of my life, I guess. Uh, we had a, had, a, had a unit. Bronte Road down there, right? Sometime beautiful spot. Yeah. Tell us, Ron. So, so Ron, I met Ron. Uh, well, we just met at the at your front door officially there half an hour ago, but we have. Um, I was um, really honoured to be asked to be on 
um, uh, Ron's podcast show, Unstressed, um, late last year. And, um, and we have a mutual friend in Vicky Poulter. Um, we can get to Vicky we can. Um, a bit later on. And um, I was fascinated with your story and the reason why we're having, you're having a chat is that you are, you're a holistic dentist, um, you're, you're, which is not a, a, such a common sort of a, um, uh, a name for a dentist to be you know, holistic in, in the front of that word. I usually associate that with you know, holistic with farming, holistic farm management. Yes. And so for that to be um, related to the, the, the dentistry is, is a fascinating thing, which we'll, we will get to. But what I learned through speaking with you on your podcast was your, and also the, the days and weeks of research I did on you, was the, um, your interest in and, 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 and contribution to um, health and wellness. Um, so that's why you're here. If anyone's wondering, <laughs> hang on, Ron's not a farmer. Um, you I'd don't like to be. I'd like to be. Well, there you go. There, there you go. go. I'm an aspirational farmer. We all want to be farming. Yeah. I think that's something yeah. that uh, most people um, uh, would like to do. I, th I think so anyway. Mm. So, Ron, um, that's why you're here. Well, thanks for having me, Charlie. I was very, uh, you know, looking forward to this, even though I only had 24 hours to look forward to it. <laughs> I did. I did spring it on <laughs> Dr. Right. Ron. That's all right. That's <laughs> but fine. He's a very accommodating <laughs> sort of rooster. Um, Ron, tell us where we are and why we're here and maybe, you know, the significance of what we're, we're looking at. For the for viewers who are watching on, on YouTube, you're looking at Ron's beautiful kitchen, um, but what we're looking at is a... Is a you know, I might say inspiring view out there to the um, the Pacific Ocean. Mm. Yeah, look, you know, I've lived in Bronte for 35 years having grown up in Bondi and I had never come as far as Bronte. I'd never actually visited until we moved in here 35 years ago and we just land, we lucked out. I mean, we really, we mm. were so lucky to um, be here. Be here as in, in this in this, this In this suburb. I mean, the, it is just magnificent. It's become incredibly trendy. I, I don't think I totally. could actually afford to live here myself if I haven't got here 35 years ago, and that's a dentist speaking. You haven't got a beard either, so you're not a hipster yet. <laughs> well, Charlie, I'm looking at your beard, and mine would be much greyer than yours, but you wear it. With, you see you've got a bit of dark hair on top, so it kind of there's that paradox. It but is, with, me, with me, it would be unequivocal. I right. put I put a um I put a Grecian two thousand rinse through my oh, head. No, I don't. Okay, no. Well, <laughs> you're so polite not to say anything. Um, I, no. just on the beard thing though. Yes. Um, uh, beard season. Just a bit of a plug for those guys. Um, Jimmy Niggles beard season raising funds for um skin checks. Okay. And so that's why um I had a bit of a trim here and there. I have to say. Is that July? But it's not. It's, too, it's not too it's, late. It's not it's, too it's, late. It's winter. It's so. Okay. So it's beard season being June, July, August. Okay. Yeah, you know, it used to be called winter. It's now okay. Beard season. So right. it's not too late, Ron. You, well, you can well, write. I'll give it. I'll certainly give it a go. It usually doesn't take more than about three or four days to show up on these. <laughs> You're a werewolf like me. I am. I am. I am. But anyway, <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah, I, I think I'll just stay with. The, well, I'll give it a go. You've inspired me, Charlie. You've inspired me. <laughs> But Bronte is just amazing and, um, and we just love it. And uh, this kitchen is actually the nerve centre of the house. It's where mm. I spend a lot of my time. I do all the cooking at home. Mm. And in the last three months, I've probably done more cooking in three months than I've done in the last 10 years. Kind of reminded me of how often we go out for dinner and eat out. And uh, I just love it. I'm just enjoying so much being in this kitchen 
Um, so, so you know, cooking's a great passion of mine too, mm. as is food, um, as is health. So they all tie in really nicely with each other. And which we'll get to. I did notice that um, Ron hadn't prepared any any lunch for me when I got here, but we will we'll, we'll get. Well, it's funny you should <laughs> we'll say that, that, Charlie. I've got a big pot of stock on. <laughs> I have. Oh, nice. I've got a ten liter pot of stock bubbling away as mm. we speak, and I actually got some soup for you. So you most, you know, if we if we go on for the full eight hours, <laughs> I was of this, a dig. you're gonna you're gonna give Dennis a good name if you keep this up, Ron. Be careful. <laughs> well, I hope so. I've been been at it for a while. <laughs> now let's talk about that. Um, uh, and it, yeah, I mean, Bronte is a is a is a beautiful part of the world, mm. not just of Sydney, but the world. It is it is a is a it's a special place. So, is it apart from you know moving here and 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 you know being here for for that long? Is there any sort of significance? Has it been a source of inspiration? You've seen a lot of change. What will give us a sense of why here and what we're looking at might be in, inspiring? It may not be inspiring. No. Oh no, no, no! It's totally inspiring. I mean, honestly, I'm. It's a, it's a, when I, I, like I said, I grew up in Bondi mm. and I hung out at Bondi Beach and we just never walked around here and you wouldn't drive down to Bronte unless you knew it was here. And I remember arriving here and there were no cafes anywhere and there was a little cake shop down at the beach and when that shut down and a cafe opened, we, our, the locals, as, mm. as I now call myself after mm. 35 years, mm. but we all looked at it and went, who on earth is going to come down here? How will cafes or restaurants even survive? And now there are at least 20 cafes within a kilometre of my house. Mm. So it's changed incredibly. But what is so beautiful about it, and we're looking out at it, and I look out and see the sunrise every day and it's always different, and uh, you really get a, a sense of the weather and the movement of the earth, and, and we are so close to the city and we're so close to Centennial Park, and yet we could be miles away. Early. So it's a real, it's a real gem. And we watched the planes when they used to be flying, mm. fly in, but we didn't hear them. They didn't fly overhead. Yeah. Um, so it's just magnificent. And uh, you know, I, I mean, um, yeah, very happy and very inspired by it. Ron, let's talk about inspiration. I mean, the, the podcast is called the Regenerative Journey, and my my interviewees, you know, what 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 I'm what I'm trying to dig for is, I guess. Some lessons you've learned, some t- some some turning points in your life, mm-hmm. um, and and I guess opportunities for others, for our listeners to um, to learn from you. You know, learn from not just um, I guess. Well, you know, you, you're, the way you the way you approach things. You know, mm-hmm. it might be a day to day thing, and it could be you know like a life philosophy. It could be so. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay so, so let's start let's start let's, let's start, start with the meaning of life we'll <laughs> just get that number, one knocked over first isn't number 46 isn't it? is that <laughs> 42 i think 42 it was, was it 42 you may have got the new version <laughs> oh i think it, i don't think it's changed the number okay. 42 42 um so let's start with you know where did it all start and not when i say where did you all start you know you grew up in bondi and what sort of what life were you leading you know you 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 at some point decided to be a dentist, but what was what was happening before that? What led you to that point? Look, I was always interested in science and uh, I was always into sport and I knew I was going to do something to do with science and the choices were medicine <clears throat> was one and I could have done that, but I just didn't fancy the 60, 80-hour weeks and on call all the time. And to be honest, the life and death 
situations that you find yourself in, I didn't feel I was emotionally able to cope. So then the other science choices were, you know, there were other science choices. I chose dentistry because it seemed like a good combination of biology, technology, psychology. It gave me a lot of freedom um, to choose the times that I worked. And it's been actually, uh, I've really been lucky because I've found what is ultimately an incredibly stressful job and very bad for your health, as I've learned. Not just my own experience, but the US Department of Labor does a study every year on 950 worst jobs in the world. And you can imagine the jobs that they cover in 950 jobs. Mm. And numbers one, two, and three are dental nurse, dental hygienist, and dentist. So, and they don't even factor in the stress aspect of it. They just talk about, and this is relevant in today's age, exposure to microbes, exposure to toxins, exposure to radiation and being seated. So very objective measures. Very objective measures and they are they give each profession a score on those four or six criteria. There are two others. They don't factor stress into it, mm. but even without that, dentistry comes up that. But having said that, I have been very happy doing it. I've been really enjoying it and, I, and it surprised me. It really surprised me very early on uh, where it led me. And mm. I learned and I've been in practice now for 42 years. I started at a very young age. I was going to say, you must have started when you were 10. 10, 12 years old. I had a very loyal <laughs> following, you know. Imagine being seen by a 12-year-old. You were like Doogie Howser, that doctor that yeah, was 10. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, no, but I have been in practice for 42 years and I have to say it's been an incredible um, learning experience which still continues because, you know, I mean, the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know and, uh, and that's a nice way to approach life, I think. Well, that's a great awareness to have that I think um, uh, does come with age and the sooner we can learn that, the better. You just touched on, uh, I want to get back to your journey, but I, I, I've forgotten my pen so I can't write it down. Um, <laughs> I want to just touch on that you mentioned one of the things that drew you to dentistry was a psychology. Yes. Well, Tell you know, you that. deal, I mean, I definitely wanted to deal with people. I mm. knew that. And, uh, and I didn't want to be working in a laboratory doing science like that. So I wanted to do something that was applied. Mm. And I also, I've always thought, also thought that if I wasn't going to do something to do with science, I would have loved to have been a builder. So, you know, I love building things. I love watching things built, mm. um, being built. And um, dentistry does a lot of building. Mm. You know, I get a lot of people who are builders or engineers and I say to them, you would recognise many of my tools. Yeah. It's just they work on a much microscopic level and uh, we spend our day building and rebuilding, and and that's kind of quite satisfying from that perspective. So, you know, the psychology of dealing with people. I mean, crikey, you know, I had a patient ring me up yesterday, a new patient said, "Oh, gee, I hate going to the dentist." And I said, "Well, you know, you're a member of a really big club, and I think I may even be the president of that <laughs> club because we always we all have our turn in the chair, mm. and in 42 years." I can honestly say no one has come skipping into my surgery going, oh, I just love the sound of the drill and I can't wait for that feeling of numbness and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, they really. Might, they might come in for the gas. They might, and that's how I have my dentistry done. Uh, you know, why not be as comfortable as you can? But, but you know, you're dealing with people in, in a very anxious state. Yeah. Um, you're, you're in very close, uh, you know, very close quarters. Like totally. my nurse 
30, when, when I'm working 30 or 40 hours a week, she sits as close to me as you are, mm. but there is a person's head in between the two of us. Yeah. So you don't get much more intense than that no. to start with. Yep. And then you ask someone to open their mouth mm. while they're trying to breathe and swallow mm. and you're trying to do finicky work where the accuracy is recorded in terms of 10 to 20 microns. Mm. So a hair is 20 microns. Mm. And something that is more than 20 microns out, not a, good, not a good thing for a dentist. So we are so preoccupied with finicky things working on people that are awake and anxious trying to swallow and breathe and keep a calm disposition through it all. It's quite, um, it's quite the artisan um, profession, isn't it? Like, it's, like it's, there's clearly a lot to. I mean, you know, who yeah, who loves um, going to the dentist? But mm. I mean, it's just something that I've always thought of a chore, and it that probably won't change. But it's a yeah, you, absolutely the intimacy of it, and and it's and the, and and I and a, you know responsibility. You're dealing with someone's the the, the tools they use to, to to nourish themselves at the end of the day. Well, I think if you if you enjoy eating, talking, smiling, um, then you know the mouth's a pretty important part of that. <clears throat> and um, you know, part of what I talk about is stress, and they often refer to dental stress, which we can talk about later. Mm. And people go, "What's dental stress?" And I go, "Look, it's it's the reason I included is because I've been doing holistic dentistry for forty years, so I feel like I've got a reasonable handle on." how the mouth connects to the rest of the body. Yeah. But it's also of interest to anybody with a mouth who is interested in their health but is never fully connected to, and there are a lot of connections, which are surprising, still surprising to me to this day. Let's. Um, I want to go back to the connections because it's one of the, the, the you know, because for, for those listeners going, oh, you know, again, I touched on it before, why is, um, why is Ron on the show? You know, he's not a farmer. But, you know, the, the connections, there are so many things that come back to, you know, food and dentistry is one because, it, again, it's the mm. tool that we use to do that. And, we, you know, we're going to talk about lots of the way all these threads, you know, and I um, uh, interviewed Matt Moran this morning. He's a chef. And did I say that before? Yes, you did. I did already. And I, and I well, you said it to me. And I, and but not on this. Not thing. on this, but, no. I mean, Matt, I, I did his first ever chef's table at ARIA where I went out to all his suppliers, sat in the kitchen with him and Peter Sullivan and uh, – it was a really great experience. I'm a huge fan of Matt's. That's, oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, um, he he's a chef, you know, yeah. and, and so he's he's part of the con- he's connected to food because he turns it up to eleven. You know, farmers produce it, we and he 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 cranks it up. And you're an eater, you know. Yeah. We're all and, eaters. And a, and a chef. And well, a chef. Oh, of course you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Of course, in the kitchen <clears> they get that's right. The soup that I'm going to taste later yeah, on, I'll, yeah. I'll give you the give the um the score on that one. Um. But I'm, I'm interested to know at what point. So you had an interest in dentistry. Was it something that you went from school straight into there and it was like no questions asked? That's, I, I, I know what I'm going to do. Well, it was a time when you made decisions about what you were going to do right there and then after high school and um, it, was, it, was, it was a career that you knew you were going to be on. Mm. That's changed, of course, now. People have several careers in their life and I've got a different career apart from my dentistry of podcasting and wellness programs. So I kind of am am moving into a new phase in my life Mm. as well. Um, But I did know, I I mean, I did go straight in. Mm. At 18, I went into uni, finished uni at 23, went off to England and worked for two years, met my wife, came back. Mm. And, of course, if I hadn't started my own practice by the age of 25 or 26, there was something 
seriously wrong with me, you know. Um, <laughs> was that from an industry point of view or from a no, from a parent point of from parents, a parent yeah, point okay. of view? You know, my, my parents were always encouraging me to get to the next level and then I could do what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I'm just now at that point where I'm doing what I want to do, 42 <laughs> years later. Um, but anyway, that's what I did. And, uh, and, and I think uh, one of the things that surprised me, because I thought I was just going to be filling and doing fillings and crowns and reconstruction work. And Ste- with standard. Standard dentistry stuff. work, which I do a lot of. I still mm. do a lot mm. of. But, but I, I'm, I kind of describe a holistic dentist as a dentist with attitude. Mm-hmm. And the attitude is that you recognise the person is, is a whole person, not just a mouth, mm. not just a tooth, mm. uh, and that person's got a digestive system of which the mouth is the first part of. They've got a respiratory system of which the mouth is the first part of, and, and then it's the site of the two most common infections. And, and, uh, and anyway, but the way I got into it was through chronic headaches, which was totally unexpected. I started, I had a... What I was doing had, on two patients very early on within my first year made a big point of the fact that stuff that I had done had somehow overcome the headache that they had suffered from for the last five years. And that surprised me. And what I learned very quickly when I explored it was there was a whole area of dentistry called jaw joint dysfunction where clenching and grinding of teeth results in head and neck pain and other structural problems. So that kind of blew me away. I just thought, wow, hang on. You mean there's more to a person than just their teeth? So this was a step between, you know, your run-of-the-mill dentistry yeah. work, oper- 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 yeah. um, sort of operation, into stepping out of that box into there's something more to this. Yeah. But, you know, I guess I'm just trying, I'm drawing parallels with someone <laughs> like you know, a farmer who's mm. doing conventional farming and um, – whether it's just because that's the uni thing they did and, and that's the, 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 the sort of the, the life they'd had to that point and then going, oh, okay, and seeing some connection, you know, seeing some yeah. variation on the norm that they'd been indoctrinated with or this, this yeah. paradigm. Well, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of my friends that I graduated with are dentists and they haven't gone down this path. And, and I kind of think one of the reasons is that people love certainty in life. They love answers that are very certain. Mm. And that gives them comfort, gives them direction. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a farmer or a dentist, uh, that certainty is very appealing. Where you come up with somebody asks you a question and you know the answer. And there's no question about that answer. I know it. And there's something very comforting about that. I, I, and we just, I was talking with my daughter who works with me on my podcast and my wellness program. She asked me this question this morning, what do I enjoy doing about what I do? And it's about that uncertainty. Mm. I actually enjoy it. I, I actually find it stimulating. And, and as I said, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And that could be really unsettling on the one hand, but it could be really empowering on the other. And the, the, the actual exciting part is not the certainty, but it's making the connections. And when you realise how interconnected everything is, and that's what led me into regenerative agriculture. Mm. I mean, last year, out of all my podcasts, I did 40 last year, mm. 10 of them were on regenerative agriculture, nice. of which you were one. Yeah. Um, you know, I spoke to Terry McCosker, Tim Wright, yes. Charlie Massey. That's right. Yeah. You know, these guys are Glenn Morris. Glenn Morris, mm. uh, Karen Zirkler from mm. Landcare, mm. 
Uh, Alan Savory. That was you know. the uh, good one. Good work. Yeah, and and my my actual I've been doing this particular series unstress for the last two and a half years. My second podcast was with Joel Salatin, episode two. That's Joel right. Salatin. Yeah, nice one. And I just thought, same. I mean, he's Shazam. a he's a he's a legend. He's a yeah. hero. Yeah, totally. and he's so generous. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, you give him a. I mean, I ring him up. I I email him as a mm. dentist. Mm. And okay, I spoke to him on my other podcast, which was I did years ago. What was that called? It was called The Good Doctors Healthcare Unplugged. <laughs> and I uh, is it still around? Is no, it? it's not. It's not. You, uh, you can't. You can you have to unplug it. Well, I had to unplug it, uh, but uh, I did it with. Um, You're using too much foul language, or was there sort of like I don't know nudity? <laughs> Like, well, it was interesting because I co-hosted it with a doctor yeah. who was fantastic, Michelle Woolhouse. She's a holistic GP, and she was in she was in her forties. Yeah. I was just in my late fifties at the time. She had two young kids. I had two older kids. She was a doctor. I was a dentist, mm. and so it was a good combination. But what I realised was I didn't really mind what I would say about things. And she had to be very careful yeah. about what she said. Okay. And so, you know, I learned a lot as, you know, this is podcasting, isn't it, Charlie? I mean, it's pretty self-indulgent. You get to ask people questions. It's very selfish. And you, they answer <laughs> it. And, and I, I've learned so much. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I, I stopped doing it with her and I just thought I'll do my own thing where I'm not restricted by what I say or think. Just on that one, we could just, we're going so many different yeah. spots. I, we're nowhere near where I thought we'd be, um, which is fine, Ron. <laughs> Just on that, I mean, because uh, it might be a bit premature in asking you this because we haven't sort of got to the crux of it yet, but it's worth saying now, um, you know, you are outspoken, you're, you're not, you know, you're doing this, your your vocation um, is here and you've stepped out of that and you're doing something that's, that's very um, is significant in that space or actually out of that space, to be honest. What, you know, have you experienced pushback? Have you sort of experienced people going, oh, you're mad, you know, stick to your trade or, you know, what, what has been, what, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, look, I've tried to avoid being confrontational and, and, um, and critical. I, I've kind of preferred to frame what I've come, the conclusions I've come to as kind of, hey, isn't this interesting? What do you think? Um, rather than how can you think like yeah, that? Yeah, well, you know? you've got to think like this. Yeah, yeah. you've got to think like yeah. that. And I, and I think that's part of what is incredibly disturbing about what's going on mm. out there in our world is that people feel so compelled to convince other people that what they are doing is the way things should be done. And I think that's a sad reflection on them because they must feel so uncertain about what it is they're doing that unless they get the rest of the world to do what they're doing, they're not quite confident enough in their own thoughts mm. or open enough to change. Mm. So I've, I haven't really been on the chopping block. I've kind of moved away. I've always tried to avoid confrontation. Um, I can be very confrontationalist, but I've tried to avoid that. I don't think it's one of my better traits. And, uh, and so I just prefer to go, hey, isn't this interesting? you know, and wonder at it mm. and share that wonder and enthusiasm for it. And if other people decide that that's not what they want to think about, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I kind of, a long time ago, um, probably about 20, 25 years ago, 
just decided that I would rather than be very political about things, I'd put my own house or surgery in order and look after the people that allowed me to look after them, which is a hell of a privilege, um, and just look after them and myself and those that are, you know, I can influence. Interesting you say that because you've mentioned, you've said a couple of things there that, that have resonated with me for many reasons, but one is that um, you might be familiar with the work of Jordan B. Peterson. And, um, yes, of course. Yes. So chaos and order. He talks <laughs> yeah. a lot about that. And okay. you mentioned about the uns- you know, certainty and uncertainty, mm. you know, chaos mm. and order, and those who are have got a beef with something or someone, you know, they, as you say, they like the certainty, they like the order, and when it goes into chaos, it's yeah, they can't handle it, and that's when you know people get mean and they say things and they attack and all that sort of stuff. So that's um, uh, that's an interesting thing, and also another one of his 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 twelve habits. Um, or rules for life, he actually calls them mm-hmm. rules and habits, was, yeah, get your house in order. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Totally. I mean, I, th- I mean, control what you can control and, and uh, what you can't. I mean, you know, okay, observe and see how it all fits in. I mean, it is disturbing when you look around and see how polarised we have become. But, uh, but, but you know, I, I think that, so I haven't really mm. had that problem. I've had a different kind of attitude and approach to it. It's int- I'm seeing so many. Uh, I knew that would be, and it's it's lovely to to unwrap this now on your language that is so um, in line with, and I'm not surprising with regenerative farming type language. And I know I'm keeping going back to that, and mm. I you know I am for a reason because you know you mentioned there about different words focusing on what you're what you're in control of. Mm. You know that's one of the sort of the principles of. You know, Terry McCosker might have mentioned that to you. You know, it's one of their sort of um, uh, their control what you can control. Exactly. Yeah. Focus yes, he on said what you're that. in control. I remember him exactly. saying that. And forget it. I well, don't forget, but just put aside. Don't worry yeah. about the stuff you can't yeah. control. So yeah. that's you know, and these are some of the, and we're getting to it. You know, these are some of the principles that that you are aware of and you are, um, uh, I guess, utilizing that are that are absolutely in parallel with. What um, regenerative farmers are doing in terms of stepping outside the square, you know, focusing on what they they are in control of, understanding that we live in a in a farming situation with weather and climate, which mm. is uncertain, you yep. know. So yep. so adapting to that, you would have would have been a good regenerative farmer, Ron. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that, and thank you because I'm still, you know, hopefully when I grow up, I can up, see you in a pair of gummies. Well, and- when I grow up, maybe I will be, you know, but. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, like I, I think uh, it's interesting, control what you can control. Mm. And a lot of people feel they can't control the weather and they can't. But Terry said something. Elon just, Musk might. I think he yeah, well, something. he can do everything, anything. But, <laughs> uh, but Terry said something that was amazing to me uh, and, and he said, uh, ruminant urine is a beautiful thing, Ron. I remember. I listened to that yes, one. Yes, yes. And I said, gee, Terry, go on, do tell me. Um, and he said, well, it's got plant growth hormone and that stimulates plant growth, but it also stimulates an organism in the soil called Pseudonomus syringi. And I didn't get that right. I had to ring him back afterwards to make sure I got that correct. Pseudonomus syringi, which floats up into the atmosphere and sees rain. So you might think you can't control the weather, mm. but... You can help it along a little bit. I mean, I was just showing you that article that was in the Herald this morning mm. where they had 
land clearing in northern New South Wales and on one side of the photo was nothing mm. and on the other side was forest and you kind of think if it rains, what's going to happen on both sides of that fence? Well, we know, I mean, obviously the water's going to run off and take soil with it Soil's going, and the water's going to go in on the other side. So I can't control the weather. Well, yeah, you can't, but you can control what the weather does with your land. Yes, and also that's to a, some degree. No, totally. And there's a couple of things in there. I mean, there's there's. I mean, you might be aware of a um, uh, a practice of uh, well, phenomena of radionics. You know, and there's there's sort of it's about tapping into the frequencies of of landscape and so on. And there's there are some um, uh, apparatus very crudely made that. Can um, tap into the the earth breathing. Oh, I don't want to get too much into it. This but is the gonna, science of biodynamics. This is it's it sort of sits beside biodynamics okay. in a way. Yeah, um, it's a bit more mechanical. It's it's and it deals a bit more with with substance, but also with with um, natural um, cycles and functions. Um, the other one there that I was going to um, touch on, I've forgotten about because I was rabbiting on about the uh, oh, no no that's it no no the the rain so. Um, back to to the, the Terry Koskerism of you know focus on what you can control mm. you know you know in in this drought we've just been through and, and farmers are screaming out for rain and then it rains and what does it do the rain hits the ground it goes sideways takes soil and they've been praying for this rain and they get I don't know five ten twenty percent of what landed and you know what they what what generative farmers do and you know um, and I'm, I'm not making that definition to make anyone better or worse than, each, than anyone else. It's just a different style, mm. a different approach, different attitude. Is I can't control when it's going to rain, but when it does, I can control to some extent how I use that or utilize that rain. Falling on there, yep. staying on the ground, you know, being absorbed, you know, high organic matter, grow grass. Yep. Well, Graham Reese is another uh, a good mate of mine, and, and I spoke to him as well. And Graham said something else that was incredible. He said, when it rains. In a land that the soil's really baked on, it can take ten to twenty minutes or something for it to absorb an inch into the soil, and in the process, you lose a lot of water and a lot of soil. Whereas in a really rich organic uh, pasture or, or land, mm. it will absorb within ten to thirty seconds. Yeah. Well, that's it's a I sponge. Mean, that's just—is yeah. that a no? I mean, yeah. is that almost a no-brainer? Am I being naive here, uh, Charlie? Like, if a farmer heard that. Why would you not explore? I mean, I, I, was, I was up in northern New South Wales and I drove down a road with Tim Wright, mm -hmm. name dropping here, but, <laughs> but these are heroes no, I mean, of mine. No, we love it because well, the more heroes. But the more, more names we drop, the more we can tag them in the interview. Yes. And then oh, <laughs> thanks, Hugh. Yeah. But, but we were driving down this road. Oh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you already said a long mask, so we've got that one <laughs> covered. We've got it sorted. Yeah. We're not going to say the president of the United States. No, we know we don't. Yeah. But anyway, we're driving down the road, and this was in February or March last year, the height of the um, the, the drought. And so this land is uh, exposed to the same um, temperatures. Mm. Mm. And on one side was barren wasteland, and on others, on the other side, on Tim's side, mm. was vegetation. Yes, it was dry. It was dry. It was brown. But there was vegetation and trees and some grass there and that, and you just kind of thought, how can that neighbour look across the fence mm. and go, Tim, well, how'd you do that? Or, can he, or is it just that he goes, no, I'm so certain in what I'm doing, I don't want to even think about what you're doing, Tim. Mm. Is that what happens? Mm. 
Yeah, you've just turned this interview right around. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> he's such a good interviewer. He's he's got a no. Totally, I I, I totally agree. I think um, there's a you know the fear of change, and even when things are obvious, and you look at stats and you see evidence, as it were, of of these things, um, you know, humans are good at justifying their current position mm. or the current paradigm, and 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 I was the same. It took me years to sort of change the way yeah. I did things, um, and I was you know I wasn't exposed to as much of it as as People generally are now because there's a lot more of this different style of farming and, and, and business management. Um, but you know, it's a and as you were saying before, you know, one it's a mistake for one to bash someone over the head and say, "You got to bloody hmm. change your way and do this and look at this, just look at it." You know, so you just I've found that just dropping things on a table and walking away is a, is a, is the best way to do it. And hmm. then and then it becomes, you know, if they have some ownership over the examination of and the and the and the absorption rumination of that idea then 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 they're much more likely to um to, to run with it i want to sort of get back to your your career on um what are some examples of you know i guess given your different approach to what you do and consideration of health and overall health holistic health and the, the implications of and the connection that humans have with soil and food Farming, you know, what if there's some examples that you can give that defines that really well? Like, you know, with a patient, their health versus if that person potentially had been to another practice and and done a normal style of dentistry, that there might have been a big difference in 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 the outcome. I'm just sort of drawing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Look, I guess the one that I mean, there are so many, but but one that is a little unusual was. A young girl who was 12 years old that came to me with her family for um, an opinion because we do some orthodontics in our practice, straightening teeth, and uh, she was getting a second opinion. And while she was sitting there, I noticed that her mouth was open and she was breathing something like this. I'll demonstrate mm. on like she going. Mm. So she was breathing quite quickly, and I noticed mm. she was a new patient, and I noticed on her. Um, History card that she'd suffered, 12-year-old girl suffered from enuresis, which is bedwetting, yeah. bedwetting. Yeah. And she had a 10-year-old and, a tw- and an 8-year-old sibling who didn't wet their bed. And so this was a pretty major problem. And she'd been to see a urologist, neurologist, psychologist. The parents had literally spent $10,000 on medical treatment and the girl was still wetting her bed. And they came to me for an orthodontic opinion and I noticed she was breathing from her mouth and breathing very fast. Now, from my undergraduate training, I didn't have to do I, I didn't have to do a PhD for this. For my undergraduate training, I knew that if you overbreathe, well, to an extreme, you hyperventilate and you pass out. Mm. But if you don't pass out, what happens is you affect the balance of chemistry in the body, which causes your smooth muscle in the body to contract, and the bladder is smooth muscle. So I said to the parents. I think the reason your daughter is suffering from bedwetting is because she has a breathing dysfunction. She's breathing through her mouth too quickly. And the parents looked at me pretty much like you just looked at me then, Charlie, with a look of surprise. Mm. And I suggested to them that they might try using a little bit of paper to tape on the mouth at night to keep the mouth closed and encourage the child to breathe through her nose. Again, they looked at me like, is this guy telling me to tape her mouth? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And so the reason being 
that by keeping your mouth closed, you breathe through your nose. And by breathing through your nose, some wonderful things happen to your body and your health. And even the coronavirus has a, a story here. But we'll come back to the little girl. So the father said, I will sleep in her room tonight. I'll give it a go. Mm. And I said, remember, I'm only telling you to tape her mouth. I'm not telling you to tie her hands behind her back. Yeah. You know, she will remove her tape yep. if she's not breathing. Believe me, she will remove it. Yep. Anyway, solve the problem. Solve the problem in one nice. night, $2 yep. piece of tape. Yeah. And the reason that is significant and it's relevant to both regenerative agriculture mm. and dentistry mm. is that narrow jaws and crowded teeth mm. mean you have a narrow upper airway. If you have a narrow upper airway, you are more prone to respiratory problems and sleeping problems and breathing problems, and that is pretty major. Now, why would you have a narrow mouth? You have a narrow mouth because from the moment of conception, even arguably before conception, mm. your parents and you as an infant, as a, as a fetus, were not on a nutrient-dense diet. What does a nutrient-dense diet mean? A diet of food that is grown in healthy soils. How do you do that? I love this, Ron. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> so there is a 12-year-old girl's case yeah. related back to regenerative agriculture because you need, well, I, I, I remember, so cool. yeah, me too, and I remember um, uh, another uh, guy who you would have listened, know very well, I'm sure, Charlie Massey, mm. saying, you know, his five cycles and yeah. things, but he, he also uses this term, enabling nature rather than dominating. And he also uses the, makes the point that in a teaspoon of healthy soil, you've got a billion microbes. In a square metre of healthy soil, you've got 40 kilometres of hyphae, the mycorrhizal fungi. It's those microbes that break down the nutrients in the soil to feed the plant that we either eat or feed the animal that eat that plant. And they develop a healthier jaw and a wider jaw that doesn't predispose you to mouth breathing and bedwetting. Or for adults, getting up at night to go to the bathroom. A lot of, a lot of adults get up at night to go to the bathroom. And, and a lot of people think, well, there are lots of reasons why mm. you might do mm. that. I mean, diabetes is a good example of that. Certain medications. There are a whole range of reasons why people get up at night to go to the bathroom. Prostate, another problem. But one very common reason that cuts right across the ages from birth to 80 years old, is uh, dysfunctional breathing, sleep-disordered breathing, of which mouth breathing is a part. Snoring is another part. Ron, this is gold um, for so many reasons. Why, at what point did you connect? So you said you learnt the sort of the, the breathing and the, and the bedwetting as an undergraduate, so that, I guess that was a reasonably... <laughs> Well, I learnt the physiology. I never yeah. learnt the connection. Oh, okay, right. I never learnt the connection. And this yeah. is the thing about the way medicine and dentistry is taught. Yep. When I studied anatomy and physiology and I passed it in second year dentistry, I thought, you beaut, done that, put that book away. And then I'd studied biochemistry and I thought, oh, my God, I've got to learn all these pathways. Mm. And Oh, God, I learned them all up. Thank God I passed that. Take I don't have box. to worry about, worry about that. If biochemistry was taught with nutrition, in combination with agriculture, you'd have, you know, ag science people sitting in a dental thing, you know, we'd be talking to each other. But it's not taught like that. If you learnt anatomy and physiology as part of chronic pain management or, or a whole range of things, 
it's never applied. And that's what I mean about making connections. As you get older, you know, <laughs> had to say that really carefully <laughs> then. But, but you, know, uh, you know, just making those connections and learning that, wow, that's amazing. These things are, are connected. And it reminds me of my um, four years at Rural Science at Armidale University. Um, shout out to UNE. There's another plug. We can uh, tap into them. Um, but with no sincerity is that the, it's a science degree and we had 40 units and they pretty much all operated separately. Yeah. And there wasn't connection between um, soil chemistry, um, soil, um, um, soil, uh, soil physics um, and the biology. They just weren't mm. the sort of the, the well-rounded um, collect, collection of those ideas into, or well, how does that actually work in life? You know, so mm. so at what point, Ron, did um did you make that connection and what was the sort of that sort of stepping into that space and going, oh hang on, you know, is the connection um here and then hang on, oh actually soil's got something to do with it and then how do you get good soil? Mm. Will you do regenerative mm. I mean when did when did your 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 journey into regenerative agriculture or that space or understanding sort of start? Yeah. I think there were two kind of seminal points. One was um probably in the mid-80s, where I'd already been exploring this for uh, the jaw and headaches for a long time, oh, well, five years, mm. seemed like a long time, mm. uh, and I was exploring it. And then I did this course in the States where the guy who was teaching it, he was, he was a dentist, he said, these headaches that people experience are stress-related headaches. And everyone went, yeah, well, that's pretty well what a lot of people think. I've got a normal tension headache. Yeah. There's no such thing as a normal headache. But anyway, <laughs> a tension headache. It's stress, stress-related. Yeah. But what do you mean by stress? This guy came up with a model. This was probably 1983 or four, And he said our stre- stress is a function of emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, and dental stress. Right? So he had this five-stress model, yeah. emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, and dental. I was about oh, 30 at the time. So I certainly didn't feel qualified to even delve into emotional stress, okay, but I recognised it. Environmental stress in the early 80s was a very new thing and I didn't really know what they were talking about. Um, Nutritional stress was definitely something I immersed myself in from about 1981 to the present day, so I've been into it. And postural stress was also important. So dental, postural and nutritional was how it happened. And so I evolved my knowledge in nutritional and that up until probably the, the uh, mid early 2000s. And then in about 2005, um, I was giving a talk and uh, there were two people in the audience, Vicky and Tim Poulter, and you mentioned UNE, so the, the name McClymont totally. is a very well-known name totally. and Vicky's family name mm. is McClymont. Her mm. father, Bill McClymont, is a legend up there. Totally. Um, so Vicky uh, was listening to my talk about stress and all of this and she came up to me afterwards and said, we must get together. There's a whole area of holistic land management that you would find fascinating. Mm. And I did. And I realised that uh, Vicky taught and Vicky and Tim taught me or introduced me to the fact that actually, um, you know, there's this thing called holistic land management just as there is holistic healthcare. And they actually have an awful lot in common. And, um, and so that just was a whole journey. And, and she's introduced me. I mean, she's an amazing networker. Ali. And uh, she is, she's been a really a major force in my life 
and my development in this area. So since probably 2005 or six, and then we we formed a, a new organisation called Nourishing Australia, yeah. which is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to healthy soils, healthy plants, healthy animals, healthy food, healthy people, healthy planet. And, um, you know, so that's, that's really and, – and the more you learn, I mean, you know, at the same time of the microbiome was becoming a really fashionable word to hear about in health. You know, we always have had, and this is the Charlie Massey idea of enabling or dominating. Mm. As health practitioners, we've only had one relationship with microbes, and that is to totally dominate. And the last 15 or 20 years has been about, has been about um, enabling, enabling uh, finding the balance. Mm. So there's a lot of similarities between the, uh, the, gut microbiome, the, ma- the oral microbiome, and the soil microbiome. And the similarity is that the more diverse they are, the healthier they are, and the more resilient they are. That's true across all three. Mouth, gut, yeah, soil. soil yeah. You know, the more diverse, the more healthy, the more resilient. And, and so, you know, when you start making connections like that, you just and, and like again, other one. I mean, I can give you the highlights of some of these shows, uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie, because they're so they are very much part of my thinking. When um, uh, Alan Savory, who another is a legend to many, many farmers mm. up and people in general, he says it's not it's not the resource that's the problem; it's the way it's managed. Managed. Yep, it, there needs to be a holistic context. So mm. before any decision is made, it doesn't matter what it is. In any aspect of life, make the decision in a more holistic context. How will my decision impact on my immediate environment, on the people around me, on the planet, on the future generations? So, um, you know, he, to hear that coming from uh, from a, a, a holistic land manager, and he also said, if you are expecting the change to come from above, you will be waiting for a long time. And I don't think he was talking about God. <laughs> um, so putting God aside, um, if you're expecting it to come from government or, or professional organisations, you are going to be waiting a long time because they lack, uh, they, they are very slow to accept new um, ideas. They are very protective of their own egos and reputations and they lack common sense. And, no, and, and, and when he said that, I just, that just so resonated with me. So that was kind of the, the model of stress, the five stressors, was one turning point in the um, mid-'80s, early-'80s, which just projected me onto a path of learning, which is a great, it's a great model. I mean, if everyone reckons stress is affecting their health, you go, oh, are you stressed? And most people go, oh, mate, am I stressed? Yeah. Mm. And, okay, well, do you think stress is playing a role in your life? Yeah. Is it a good role or a bad role? Well, most people think it's not a good role. It's affecting their health. So if something's affecting your health, it helps to know what the problem is. Mm. If you're going to do something about it, you need to know what the problem is. And, and this structure is a great way of approaching it and reducing the stressors in your life. And it's, you know, we, we then hear my tummy gurgling away there. It's the soup. See, just hanging out for the soup. I mean, we it is. I'll make you a cup of broth there. <laughs> I haven't eaten all day. Um, the um, oh, I forgot, I forgot where I was going to go there. Um, soil. I, 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 I don't remember. 
Um, the soil, you know, I, I say, and I can't remember where I stole this one from, is, you know, the soil is the is the stomach of plants. You know, it's an external stomach. Yes, I love that. That was great. I remember you saying that. Yeah. I, I remember you saying that. That was good. I really, um, I, I would have quoted you on that, but I thought seeing you were here, <laughs> I'd leave that one to you. <laughs> oh, now I'm trying to remember what I was going to say there, Ron. Um, uh, stresses and stuff. Oh, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, where, what am I, what am I? Oh, now tell me, I was really doing my homework on you there before and I was fascinated with, um, and you are, you, um, uh, you're a member of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, yeah. which is interesting, lifestyle medicine in itself, but then the, the Australasian College of Nutrition and Environmental Medicine. Mm. What is environmental medicine? <clears throat> well, environmental medicine is a very big topic. I mean, um, it's the, literally tens of thousands of chemicals we are exposed to each and every day, okay. and we could be excused for walking down up and down the the shop the the supermarket aisles, looking at all the labels, thinking, "Oh well, if it's on the shelf, it must be approved." Very sobering to learn that is not the case. There are one hundred and forty thousand chemicals that we are exposed to in our world, increasing by about two or three thousand chemicals every year, and only about. 5% have been tested to any extent, and when they are tested, the way they are tested is one at a time over a short period of time, usually on a healthy university student. And they'll be, and so that's actually not the way we engage with them because, we, because it ignores synergy. For example, if you gave, say, mercury a toxicity value of one and lead a toxicity value of one, and when you added mercury to lead, you might think that one plus one equals two, but it doesn't. One plus one equals 10. It's an exponential yeah. thing. It's not linear. So when we are exposed to multiple chemicals, which is the only way we are exposed to them, not over a month or two, but over a lifetime, and not as a 30-year-old healthy university student, if indeed such a thing exists, um, but as a whatever age we yeah. are at yes. uh, over a lifetime, young. yeah, yeah then that is environmental medicine, number one. Environmental medicine yeah. also involves, and that is in the furniture, in our clothes, in our personal care products, in our foods, in our, you know, it's everywhere. Day, it's, it's ubiquitous. Everywhere. Yeah. It's ubiquitous. Yeah. Another part of environmental medicine is the home environment. So you need to look at dampness and mould and, and uh, things like that. You could be on the best diet, and I've seen many patients like the best diet in the world, the best supplements in the world, everything organic, mm. meditating, exercising, yeah. sick as a dog. Why? Because the house in which they are living is making them sick. That's involved through, through, through mold, dust, you know, a whole uh, yeah. outgassing of chemicals. Um, so that's another aspect of environmental medicine. And, and another aspect of environmental medicine is EMF radiation. Mention that. Now, yeah, we all love our technology. You know, and I'm addicted to it more than any, you know, just as much as anybody. Um, but to, you know, there's this guy, many people will have heard of him, Albert Einstein. And, uh, you know, one thing he came up Albie, with. Albie to his mates. Albie to his mates. And, and he said, every atom in the universe is both energy and matter. Okay, that's E equals MC squared. Mm -hmm. Every atom in the universe is energy and matter. So that means every atom in our body is energy and matter. And to assume that the energy we surround ourselves with as EMF radiation 
does not have a biological effect is naive at the very best mm. and negligent at the very worst. I actually think, I mean, I think this whole EMF story may well unfold to be to the 21st century what lead in petrol and tobacco was to the 20th century. So, it's a real sleeper, isn't it? Well, yeah. it's not, not, not it's waking up as in It's, it's waking awareness. up. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real issue. We need and we and the answer again is not to be confrontational mm. and you know you're not going to get rid of it of, of technology. I mean, this last few months has kind of highlighted that more to us than ever before. Um, but we need to have a healthy relationship with it. So, give me some examples in 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 the in the home. Of, you know, there's technology in our hand, um, and there's and there's power in the walls. There's electricity running through the walls. What what are some of the things that our listeners can consider you mm. know, in their home, in their workplace that they might want to make some inquiries about or ask questions about? You know? Yeah. Well, I think I think in your bed because that's where hopefully you spend a third of your day, and uh, you know that's a whole other story. As- asleep. Asleep. Uh, sleep is your built. In my opinion, sleep is your built-in non-negotiable life support system so mm. and it's free eight, eight hours eight hours seven to nine hours for 90 percent of the population mm. seven to nine hours is is what we need um but from an electronic from an em from an environmental perspective i think the that there are several keys one is to have all technology at least two meters away from your head mm. so this business of having your laptop on your lap in bed wrong for many reasons. Mm. Um, the radiation is one, but it's no time to be connecting with the world just as you're about to go to sleep and solving the world's problems or catching up with your friends or fearing of missing out on things. Not even Netflix? Not even Netflix. Not on your lap. That's my, for sure. My wife's not going to be here. <laughs> anyway, two metres away from your head, that's at least. Yeah, yeah. Dark room. You should check that your house, your room, particularly your bedroom, doesn't have mould. You know, sometimes it's really easy to see, but if you've had water damage in your house, then you almost certainly will have mould. And and dust mites uh, is another major factor, which the best way of doing that is just getting a really good vacuum cleaner, HEPA filter vacuum cleaner, and putting bedding out in the sun. The sun is uh, a really... So they're the big ones, I think. Mm-hmm. I think uh, keeping ray, uh, uh, technology away, and if your bed backs onto the fridge... Or the smart meter of the house, move your bed. We've got a great, there's a great story um, from a friend of a great teacher, Nicole Bilgema, who tells the story that she had 10 miscarriages when she moved into this house and had been to see everybody about everything. And she's a naturopath. And it turned out that her house was an electromagnetic radiation nightmare. And she was backing, her bed was backing onto the smart meter. And when she moved her bed, she became pregnant and she's got now three healthy kids after 10 miscarriages. That's fascinating. So, so that's how powerful it can be. I know when um, we're you know, staying in hotels, the first thing we do is disconnect all the alarms and the phones and whatever and then pull the bed back and make sure there are no power cords underneath in that wall um, or power points right there, you know, because mm. it's sleeping next to. That what is it? What I mean, with it, maybe not going to all the detail, but what what is the phenomena? That what is is we are energetic beings. Yeah. There's energy running through a, a copper wire. Mm. What's the sort of why is that a bad thing? 
What's the interference, as it were? I think I think the kind of hardwiring of stuff is less of a problem because it's insulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we start to go Wi-Fi, mm. I mean, how does that happen? Mm. How does that signal get from me to you? Or through that, through, it's not through ju- me from yeah, you to absolutely over yeah, there. Yeah. So so you know um, that is there are currents. I mean, most people would accept you wouldn't stand in front of an X-ray machine and pointed at your genitals and go, just fire away, mate. It's no problem at all. You know, well, that's one part of the electromagnetic spectrum. For some spectrum. people that might be quite It nice. might be, but, but for, that's part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah. Well, okay, this Wi-Fi radiation isn't ionising radiation, yeah. but it's coming down, you know, like if you think of the visible light spectrum, you know, Roy Gibiv, uh, red, orange, yellow, oh, green, yes. blue. I always forget you remember it. That one? There is yeah. a little saying about that too. Yeah. Anyway, um, Roy Gibib. Well, and we get down to V, mm. uh, that's violet. We know that if we move beyond V on the electromagnetic spectrum, ultraviolet light isn't terribly good for us. Mm. You know, so we know there are areas in that spectrum that are not that are not good for us. So when you get up the red part, infrared is not bad. You know, people put infrared lamps on, people okay. get into infrared saunas. That is down that end of the spectrum. Mm. The problem with um, computers is that they are down the blue end, apart from the radiation, they're also emitting a blue light, mm. which then that blue light is down that end of the mag- electromagnetic spectrum, which is affecting our eyes and our melatonin production. So, so you know, LED lights are another example. You know, incandescent lights used to get hot. Remember mm. those? Mm. Yeah. They're down the red end of the spectrum. They actually are not as bad as LED lights, yeah. which are more down the blue end of the spectrum. So what I'm saying is, and again, this gets back to confrontation. You know, isn't that interesting? Does that mean we have to throw out all LED lights? Does that mean we have to throw out all technology? Does that mean we have to reject it all? No, I don't think it does. But being aware of it doesn't mean we not. You know that that's. You know, being aware of it is empowering. Is there somewhere that people can go? A website that you recommend? you're on or something that um, the people can suss this stuff out. I mean, we're, we're pretty aware and um, we've looked into, you know, copper blankets and copper paint. Um, we I've been trying to get myself a, um, a EMF meter for a long time as a follow-up. Um, um, David uh, David Von Payne up there um, at Interwarmer, the meter man, he's got so much mm-hmm. cool stuff. Any, any farmers out there, he's got to these biological monitoring um, Kits, he's got bricks, meters, and everything. He's got he's, he's sort of looking at EMF stuff. But is there somewhere where you can recommend people go and go, okay, here's a bit of a house audit or something, you yeah. know, that they can suss it out? Yeah, I think if you are concerned yourself as a, um, as a, you know, as a person, Pers- a person, a, 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 a person, a parent, um, getting a building biologist to come in, a there building, are, a building biologist. There is a specialty. It's a two-year, well, I, th- I think it's a degree course or a, a graduate certificate course. But anyway, it's a two-year program of study which uh, makes you a building biologist. And, uh, and I think building biology is worth consulting. And I think independent building biologists, not ones that are necessarily connected with a building industry that will load you up with fifty or a hundred thousand dollars worth of remediation work. Yeah. But someone who's independent, not connected, um, would be a good place if you were concerned about your own home. If you were a healthcare professional and you're wanting to learn more about it, 
um, the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, uh, which is ACNEM, A-C-N-E-M. That's right, yep. A-C-N-E-M, ACNEM.org is a good place to go. I happen to be the president of that college. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you know, that is... You're, I mean, you are for a good reason. Yeah, I am yeah. for a good reason. And uh, so that would be a good place for a healthcare professional to go. And if you were a consumer, uh, you know, a, a member of the public who wanted to educate yourself, mm. there are many good sites. I personally think um, Low Tox Life is, a very, mention, is, a, is yeah. a very good place. I think Alex Sorry. Stewart has done a remarkably good job at bringing it together in an accessible way. So I think Low they Tox would, Life. Low Tox dot, Life. Dot com. I'm not I sure think so. You there, but oh, yeah, Low Tox Life, Alex Tox. Stewart. Yeah, and she's written a great book as well. So totally. Called Low Tox Life. So, you know, if you all those kind of things, that's what I'd be doing. Um, Ron, where are we going to go now? What what would you Oh, no, I want to talk about your book. Oh. This is culminating to this, this you've you've we've sort of danced around all this crazy cool stuff. Where can people learn more about what you've done, what to do, you know? Hmm. You've got a book. I have. I have. The book's called uh, A Life Less Stressed, The Five Pillars of Health and Wellness. And um, I, it came out in Australia in 2018, in the, U, in the UK and the US in 2019, and it's coming out in Turkey in 2020. <laughs> Can't wait. I hope they don't ask me to do the audio book of that one. Um, but anyway, um, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a book that I've written, and actually, it's a conversation I wish I could have had with every single patient I've ever seen, because it kind of follows everything that I've been interested in. So, it's a book in three parts. The first part is really exploring healthcare, where we're at, why health messages are so confusing and contradictory, and uh, the role of the chemical food and pharmaceutical industry <gasps> in regulatory, in, in government regulations, public health policy, in all levels of healthcare, in fact. You've gone there, right? I have, I have. Good on you. And uh, so that's part one of the book. And at mm. the end of part one, you could either throw your hands up and go, oh, my God, I don't know what to believe. Or you could say, my health's just too important to leave to anybody else. I better read on. Yep. And so the second part of the book addresses stress. Mm. Which is kind of as I said, if you're gonna, if stress is a problem, um, it's good to know what that problem is. And the, the I, I see it as a balancing act. Try and identify as many stresses as you can and reduce them. So emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, and dental stresses. Mm. Try and reduce them. And then the third part of the book is about building resilience, and they are the five pillars of health: mm. sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think. And in my opinion, as our world becomes more and more complicated, the solutions, I, I think, are remarkably simple mm. and not very costly and well within everybody's reach. So, so the book is in those three parts. Nice. And, and the podcast really was born out of that because um, as soon as I wrote my book, a lot of people or some of my friends said, don't have it printed because as soon as it's printed, you'll wish you could have changed it. And so I thought, no, I do want it printed because it's a really good calling card. You know, it's like a totally like a business card. You know, but yeah. you know, is it, having a book is that's a that's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, I was I'm very proud of it, and the fact that it's been published, I didn't have to self publish it. It was published by Scribe in Melbourne and in the nice. UK, so that was good. Um, but but as soon as it's written, it's written, and so that's what the podcast is about. So I just explore yeah. all the themes I cover in the podcast which means every week I can talk to somebody else about anything else. 
and so it is a it is an evolving conversation oh, isn't it? because mate, there's totally. new science behind things and there's you know other experts sort of appear on the scene and um that's i'm just gonna where was that copy just yeah, tell, tell a joke ron just tell a joke <laughs> Oh my God! You know I'm not good at stand up. This is uh, oh, thanks for these there already. Oh yeah, there it is. Hang on, there. It is. For those who are on the um, on the on the machine of there we um, go. YouTube, that's great. That's yeah. that's great. That's a good size too. Yeah, it's um, a, yeah. Now just um, we're looking at the time, Ron, and um, I'm just thinking related to stress <clears throat> and and the book in which you identify or. You're asking people, I guess, to ask better questions and, you know, potentially acknowledge that they're not as healthy as they could be, um, and they might be might be a good idea to pick up your book and, and get some help. Essentially, what is it? Um, farmers aren't good at asking for help. Mm. Uh, I'm going back to farmers, people mm. generally, and, and men. Uh, yep. But I'm, I guess I'm it's a double whammy. fond of male farmers. It's a double whammy. That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? I'm fond of male farmers. <laughs> I am. Right. I'll stand behind okay. that statement. That's okay. Um, that they um, acknowledging that they may not be as healthy as they could be. Um, that you know, whilst farmers are very active, they're not very fit. You know, mm. that we we're very active, but we spend a little bit of time in front of the screen. You know, on buying and selling cattle and doing whatever our books. Um, you know, what is it that you think that farmers? What might get farmers over the line to pick up your book and, and just ask better questions about their health? Is it, yeah. Um, what 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 are some of the, the the touch points we can? Well, it's it comes back to where we started, Charlie, which was we were going to solve the meaning of life, mm. and we haven't quite got to that yet. <laughs> but 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 you know, if I had to think about what is the meaning of life, um, I would say that it's to fulfil your potential. You know, like, and that doesn't matter what you are, what you're mm. talking about. If you're talking about it as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a farmer, as a dentist, as a member of a community, whatever it means to you, fulfilling your potential, I believe, is the meaning of life. Doing the, being the best you can be at whatever it is you do. And in order to do that, being healthy is a really good place to start because, you know, that's going to allow you to fulfill your potential. So um, I think focusing on your health is a really good investment, really good return on investment. And, um, and, and there are so many positives, physically, mentally, emotionally, I would argue financially, mm. uh, environmentally, that flow out of that. It's a win, 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 win situation. Yeah, totally. so, so I think that, I think just accepting that it's like with sleep, you know, people, I said sleep's, sleep is without a doubt the most important part of the day. What is the first step to getting a good night's a consistently good night's sleep? Prioritizing. Yep. If you don't prioritize it, all the rest, I could talk to you for the next hour about sleep hygiene and all mm. the different things you could do. But if you don't prioritize it, all the rest is a waste of time. Mm. It's a bit like that with health too. If you haven't accepted that it's the most important thing and that you need to be control in control of it, if you're the sort of person that wants to outsource it, there is a whole world of doctors and pharmacopoeia, pharmacology, you know, that are waiting to embrace you with open arms, just as I'm sure for farmers who couldn't be bothered changing, you know, they could go to a chemical industry and find the latest and greatest new fertiliser, pesticide, herbicide, mm. outsource the problem. But that's part of control what you can control. If you can control your own health to some degree. I mean, we're often reminded of how random that is, mm. so I'm not saying... It's a guarantee to a long 
life, but I think it's a question of quantity and quality. And while we can't guarantee the quantity, although we can hope we can, mm. uh, we can certainly say that you'll have a better quality of life. And uh, so I think prioritising your health is a really important place to start and fulfilling your potential is a good thing to aim for. I think one of the secrets, um, Ron, and again, I'm talking about male farmers and there's lots of female farmers mm. out there, so this sort of works in a similar way, is the, I think the secret is in the hands of um, the partners of the farmers, you know, the wives who may not be doing as much stuff outside or you know, aren't as involved, maybe not getting as exposed to chemical, that sort of thing, you know, that, that mm. sort of seeing this from the outside, literally looking at husbands and partners and so on and going, man, you're just not doing so well, are you? You know, and having those, I was having a great conversation with Tommy Herschel yesterday um, about stepping up and, and having that difficult conversation and calling them out, you know. And I'm mm. not being, it's not about being harsh and being aggressive and, 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 and sort of making someone feel bad about their current thing. It's just about having, owning and being honest with that person and saying, you know what, you know, and coming from a place of love and saying, I'm really concerned about you. Mm. You know, mm. I care about you. I want you to care about you. And the, you know, the word self-love and farm, I mean, when, when were they ever put in the one sentence? Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think men that that's a whole other story about it's another podcast. Men, here. men, and how how we um, accept things. Go, what goes on? I know with my own in my own life, and I mean, I've been fortunate enough to just had my thirty fifth wedding anniversary uh, last yesterday. You got, you got two, married two and days. Again, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like it's serious now, Charlie. <laughs> we, we've I think I think You've I have to accept it's serious. Through the honeymoon, yeah. we're through the honeymoon period. But <laughs> I know uh, that it's a constant process. Men men love to solve problems, yeah. and they don't like to necessarily discuss them. And I know when I when my when something's going on in my mind, um, and I think I'm reasonably good at communicating. And my wife will say to me, "Ron, what's wrong?" Mm. And I'll go, um, "No, no, nothing's wrong. It's fine." And, and, and honestly, and she, she knows I'm crawling into my cave and it literally takes me a day or two to just be able to, in my own head, articulate what is going on. You know, it's not that I'm trying to be anything other than I am. I just can't articulate it as well as a woman can. And I've got two daughters who are now 34 and, and 30. And, um, and, and I, so I say... I grew up in a household full of women, and I say that because I had my first kids when I was 30. So that's when I started to grow up because I was surrounded in a household full of women having grown up with my brother and my father and my mother, very male-dominant mm. house. And, and girls, women are much better at playing the game of life, and we should just embrace it. I mean, I think as men... We shouldn't man up and kind of get all muscular about it. We should just sweet surrender and, and being able to say, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can we talk about it? <laughs> well, talk. I, I've got to remember that myself. My wife will listen to this and go, yeah, well, Told why don't you. you do that? Yeah. <laughs> talk, was it? Walk your talk, Tom. <laughs> now, talk about talking. We have, um, we have talked a lot and I've so I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this, Ron, because, I mean, I, I just love the idea that I'm sitting next to a dentist and I've had such a such a wonderful. Not that sitting next to any other dentist would be a bad thing. I'm just saying mm. it's just an unlikely conversation to have evolved in you know in this situation. But you're here for that reason because I knew you had some good stuff, um, and I trust that the listeners can, um, you guys out there. You know, I do this podcast so that you can 
um, take some tips home. And, and, and your book is talking about taking things home. Your book is available. Where can people find it? Uh, Booktopia. If you're in Australia, yes. I like to promote that as opposed to yeah. you can get it on Amazon. Fish Pond if you're in New Zealand. Okay, I think Fish Pond okay. was one okay. of the Yeah, um, it's also an audio book as well. So, yeah. God, if you wanted to listen to me serenade you. Oh, you've, written, you've you said the whole thing. I did. I did. That was a whole other experience. It was wow. uh, It actually, yeah, it was an interesting experience. But uh, I'd never read it from cover to cover. And I took you about did. it took a few sessions to do it. But anyway. How, many, so, how long? How many, how many minutes? Well, it's a 12-hour listen. Um, but it was a 24-hour record. Level of fluoride added to the water supply ranges from 7 to one. I don't even get me started on that. Uh, oh, you no. Picked a, you picked a thing that would say, oh, is he into water fluoridation? That's a whole other story. Oh, totally. And I've, I've got some stories around that too because mm-hmm. um, without going into it, um, I think I was Burua when I grew up and I didn't drink the town water in Burua. Burua was an early experimental mm-hmm. Town in which fluoride was put in water. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other story. Yeah. It's a really, you know, that, that's actually a metaphor for how we approach disease in our society. And it's not a good one, I don't think. But that's a whole other story. I reckon we should do this again, Ron. Oh, um, yeah. well, anytime you're back down in Sydney. Yeah. Or totes. I could come and do the tour. Do it. The country well, tour. Why not? Well, I mean, as long as we're sitting somewhere with a, with a nice view and a, you know, good, good place for yarn. Ron, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed that. And um, uh, we'll put all you know, show notes, um, links and, and so on to all those famous people we mentioned and also to your stuff too, Ron, and uh, in the show notes. And, um, Ron, thank you so much for, uh, for regaling us with the steps along your Rajinder journey. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> there you go. Um, really enjoyed my chat there with Dr. Ron. Uh, he really opened up about... Um, I don't know, just his life and everything. He's very, very um, uh, open and honest kind of guy. Uh, we only uh, we only interview honest, open people on our show, of course. Um, <laughs> I hope I hope so. Uh, anyway, we hope no crooks get through the filter. Um, now, to, no, I'm not talking about crooks because far from it. Next week, um, I am really excited to introduce um, or to release at least Rachel Ward the. Um, the the well the wonderful stalwart stalwart as it were of Australian um, um, acting. Um, she um, and not many people who know this is a farmer. Has had a farm for I think thirty years now up on the north coast uh, in Nambucca, um in New South Wales. And for all those years, wasn't doing too much. Well, she was certainly farming with her with her um, family there and doing all sorts of other wonderful acting jobs and, and advocacy jobs work and she um, recently in the last couple of years has turned her hand to regenerative farming and has really taken it by the throat and um, doing wonderful things up there so I had a really really um, intimate and cool chat on the, on the front front uh, veranda of um, Burnham House there um, a beautiful uh, stretch, of, stretch of property up on the, uh, on the coast um, but you can't see the coast, but you know it's there. It's not far away, and it's absolutely beautiful. So, Rachel, thank you for the chat. And listeners, I hope you look forward to, because I am, the release of Rachel Ward's interview next week on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate, and review. 
For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.